0: All right. Well, welcome to those of you who do, do not know me. My name is Josh Haas. I'm an associate pastor here, and um, I get to preach this morning. And I had a, a, a word that I'd like to get into. Um, for those of you who haven't heard, hopefully everybody who's a regular has heard, we are planning, we, we just recently approved a building project. And uh, we're going to expand a, a, another building over there. It's going to have a a small basketball gymnasium in it more office spaces for people to use We're going to expand the seating in this room and lots of other things. So we're pretty excited about that Because expansion is coming. I think it's pretty amazing that we have increased in numbers and giving since covid Isn't that I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah Now we're not the only church that's done that but I just feel like that that god's in something there I wanted to think, though, a little bit today about expansion and what that means and what we need to think about as we're getting ready to expand. If you look in times, um, in Bible times, the Bible has a lot of different times, particularly in the history of the Jewish people, the the Hebrew people, of times of expansion. And um, what too often happens is when they expand shortly after that it doesn't go so well they fall back into worse practices than when they started and um, the tragedy typically that we see in different kinds of revival is a church or a group of people will have what we call revival this great renewal this this stirring to get closer to God and people really pay a price and then what happens with, with the next generation is somehow it almost always crumbles and the next generation never carries it to the place where the previous generation did. We don't want that as we expand. We want to see increase. We want to see when we hand the torch off to this next generation, whenever that may be, we see expansion out. We want to see them take it to the next level and go to the next place. There was one time I can look at in Israel's history that you actually see a peak point where things were going amazing and they take it to the next level and make it even better. If you look in the Old Testament, there's the story of the kingdom of David to the beginning of the kingdom of Solomon. Now Solomon didn't finish well. He did not. But that transition time when David handed things over to King Solomon, Solomon actually notched things up a level. Now, he didn't maintain it, okay? so, but, but for today, I don't want to get too caught up in that part of it. I want to recognize that actually the beginning of Solomon's kingship, he actually raised it up a level, and that's what I want to do, and I want to actually continue that as we move forward. I'm going to give a, a few potential downfalls of success now don't get too bummed out I'm not saying we shouldn't be successful but there are some things that we need to guard against because if 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 we're not intentional as we have success we'll fall into some things that could trip us up and and actually make that success a curse to us here's one thing that I see happening as as people become successful as groups become successful When you become successful, there's a tendency to start thinking, even unintentionally, that you're better than other people. Right? This happened with Israel. All of a sudden, they start seeing the kingdom advance, and they forget part of why God called them to be a chosen people and blessed them is because he wanted to bless them to be a blessing to those around them. He actually blessed them not just for their own sake— but he blessed them so that they could bless those other nations around them so that they would know who God is. Israel came out of slavery in Egypt. And then as Solomon starts moving forward and he's building the temple and he's building his palace, he starts employing slaves in the same way that they were pulled out of. And the tragedy is he lost sight of where they came from and why they were blessed hang on my notes are all cattywampus here (laughs) I want to show you um, a scripture this is from Deuteronomy I know this is everybody's favorite book and you read it all the time This is Deuteronomy 17, and I'm going to pause in between um, every, every little part of this, but Deuteronomy 17, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. Now, these are instructions that God gives Israel of what will happen, what the king should be like when they get a king. God's basically saying to them, you're going to have a king, and this is a good thing. I've set this up, and this is what it should look like. This is how your king should be. As I read through this, I'm going to pause every so often to tell you what Solomon actually did. Okay? Verse 16. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. King Solomon had 12,000 horses. That's what he acquired. Or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He got those horses from Egypt. That's where he got them from. These were the instructions God's, God laid out before Solomon ever became king, before they ever had a king. And that's, this is what Solomon did. Verse 17. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. He got about, depending on how the measurement is, is, is looked at, he got about 25 tons of gold every year. This is not a big kingdom. This is not like a, a country the size of Egypt. This is a little kingdom. Now, when the Bible lays out what happened in Solomon's time, it doesn't really put forth the judgment because they're in the midst of prosperity but it kind of just gives a commentary of what happened. And you have to know the scripture to realize this is actually going against the instructions that God laid out ahead of time. Moving on to 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. He's supposed to write his own copy of the law. And what's he supposed to do with it? It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not to consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over over his kingdom in Israel. Here's the thing. Solomon stepped in prosperity, but he had completely forgotten where he came from. He had completely forgotten what the whole purpose of his prosperity was. May that not be so with us. So what do we do? Because there's something about prosperity. It's addictive. It's it's real easy to just get caught up in success. It's real easy to forget that, that there's a reason that you've been blessed. So I want you to take a second. I want you to remember where we came from. It doesn't matter how long you've been here. Think about when you started here. If you were here six months ago, it changed quite a bit. If you've been here from the start, Pastor Greg knows how much it's changed from that time. Jay knows how much it's changed, and Linda knows how, how much it's changed. You guys have seen what it's changed. Think about where we came from. What's important about that that we want to keep, that we want to hold on to? Probably sometime in September, um, I believe Aaron's plan is to go into some of our core values. And you can find these on our website. But here's the thing about core values. Core values are not about where we're hoping to go. Core values are things that we should already be doing. And if we're not doing them, we call each other on it. Okay so one of those core values is family and if we're not acting like family we need to talk to each other about that we need to have those kinds of conversations and I would want to put that as a priority another one is heaven to earth so you know when the, the, on a Friday night we had a doubleheader softball game I know I'm sorry to, to bring it up Josh but it happened forget about the score well, pray for us we need, we need your prayer but forget about the score. We had a couple of injuries on the field. And um, my first impulse was to think, well, that's too bad. Those guys aren't going to be able to play, or maybe they'll hobble around playing today. And then it struck me, wait a minute. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth. I need to pray for these guys. Now, what my conviction is, like, I'm glad that I prayed for them, but what my conviction is, is that wasn't my first impulse. That wasn't the first thing I went to. The first thing I went to was, oh, bummer, that's too bad. They might not get to play. Well, they'll feel better in a couple of weeks. That's not bringing heaven to earth. The world can do that. So we want to make clear, we want to make sure, and we want to call ourselves and check ourselves. Are we living up to our core values? And that's what, what I think where, the, where Solomon tripped up in his ministry, in his time. Here's the other thing I want to point out. I want to, I want to read a, another verse. This is all the way, hang a hard right in your Bible, all the way to the end of the New Testament. Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. This is describing what's going on in heaven. Okay, This is what it looks like. and There are basically 24 elders there. And the 24 elders are people of high position and closeness to the Lord. This is what they're doing. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by, you, by your will they were created. What I want to think about is the crowns that they had. They earned those crowns. Those crowns were amazing things, and we all get certain crowns in life as we follow the Lord. Promotions at work, positions in the church or outside, family. Good things that happen in life are are just these little crowns from God that he gives to us. But these elders, the way that they looked at it was, great, I got a crown, it's more that I can lay down at his feet. And that's what Solomon, and that's what we need to look at, is whatever we expand to, it's just more that we get to lay down at his feet. It's not something that makes us better, that we get to show off to everybody else. Look at this big church that we're coming into, our our church is growing, aren't we amazing, aren't we special? No, this is just more that we get to lay at his feet, when I come to his face, he's not going to be impressed by how big the church is. He's going to ask me, did I lay it down in front of him or not? Here's the second thing that can trip us up, and this is very common. We pay a high price for our success. We do. And We're so worn out from paying that high price. We don't teach the next generation to pay the same price that we did Now let me explain to you part of of what I mean. I Need to mention the idea of inheritance. Okay, so this is what inheritance means is you get something for free That somebody else paid a price for I'll explain it in terms of money because that's something everybody here can understand you all know what cash is right? so let's say a person that you're a relative passes away they lived a long life so don't get too sad they pass away and they build up this big inheritance and you're in the will and you're a a young person and you're getting ready to start life and all of a sudden you get five hundred thousand dollars to start your life off with that you wouldn't have had before people will get jealous of you and, and say well you didn't do anything to earn that well you're right I didn't but I just shouldn't feel ashamed that somebody left it to me in in my will. What my job is to figure out what do I do next with that because I can burn through $500,000 and it won't last. And so what I need to figure out is how do I pass this on to the next generation? How do I pass this on so that they'll have an inheritance to pass on to the generation after them? Wealthy parents struggle with this because they struggled. They were the first generation to come into wealth. They worked really hard to get there, and they don't want their kids to have to go through the same thing they went through to get there. They know. They, they, they say I'll pay the price so that you don't have to. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that the kids need to realize there's a different price they're going to have to pay. They don't necessarily need to pay the same price. Okay, So I don't want you to go start you know digging ditches because I did to provide for you but now I can afford to send you to college so I want you to work hard in that atmosphere there was a big price paid to build this building the uh the leaders involved including pastor Greg and Aaron and Matt and they borrowed against their homes to build this church so if this church went into foreclosure their homes would be what we're in trouble they built the things here with their own hands a lot of it they put the time and effort into that and that was good but now we have enough that we can, we can get a loan and we're healthy enough in a financial spot that we don't have to do that now we're in, a, we're in a good spot and we don't expect people to borrow against their homes but we do expect you to pay a price in some way it's kind of like when Israel went from wandering in the wilderness and then moved into the promised land. There was a level of faith they had to have each day to walk out and see that there was manna on the ground. They had to they had to go through that and do that. But once they stepped in the promised land, it was a different kind of faith that they had to step into. They had to believe that they could do it for themselves because the manna stopped. They had to actually go out and work for themselves. I can't imagine what it must have been like the first day there was no more manna on the ground, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we actually have to work. We actually have to do something now. And this is what we're coming into is is, we want to think about what are we paying the price for now? What's the price we're paying now? It's going to look different than what they paid in the last generation, and that's okay, that's actually good, but there's still a price to be paid. Now, we can, we will live, this generation will live fine if we do nothing. The problem is, we won't have an inheritance to give on to the next generation, and they're going to have to start from scratch. So, we can do that, but it's just not going to turn out well. We're not going to be able to extend a legacy. When I think about the history of Dayton, I think it's something like this. Historically, I am told, and I have not researched this myself, but I've heard it from more than one person, that historically Dayton has per capita, it had the per capita the highest number of patents in the U.S. at one time. We had the Wright Brothers, we had Kettering, we, we had a, a lot of different, you know, people who, who just were at the front lines of technology and learning and, and advancement. And what happened was they went really far, did some amazing things, and they handed it to the next generation. The next generation wanted to figure out how do we get cushy jobs? How do we we find ways that have really nice retirement plans that we don't have to do too much? And they lived pretty well. The problem was the next generation didn't have anything because they they didn't build anything for them to hand off. May that not be us. God only knows increase and so we want to learn how do we help the next generation advance you know we we don't enjoy suffering jesus endured the cross he didn't enjoy it it wasn't something that we're, we're trying to figure out how do we suffer but the reality is suffering is part of life suffering is something that we go through and here's, here's the truth, is when we are avoiding suffering, we're actually just putting off suffering. We're, we're, we're delaying it. It's, it's going to happen. So if I don't build an inheritance, if I don't push through to build an inheritance to hand on, suffering's going to follow me afterwards. I, I'm just handing it on to the next generation. But if I have vision, if I look out and I say, I'm going after this, I'm actually saying I'm willing to suffer because I see something at the end of that. I talked to Corey Wasson recently about going through schooling, and it's 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 hard, and he's you know, he's got this call on his life to missions and he's here, you know, doing schooling at the same time, and there's suffering going on. And it wouldn't be worth it if there was no vision. If there was no point, if there if it was just how can I figure out how to suffer, that would be stupid i'm not you know i'm not a masochist i'm not trying to figure out a way to how to harm myself but if i see at the end of that if i work hard there's something at the end of this i will go through things so that i can get to that angie and i tomorrow celebrate our 24th anniversary And when we were about to get married, when I was getting ready to buy the the engagement ring, I went and I lived in this little tiny room off of somebody's garage. I cooked in a hot pot, and I skimped together as much money as I could, sold all of my baseball cards and comic books because I wanted to buy this engagement ring. And I, my whole thought process was, what else can I get rid of so that I can get money to buy this ring for her? If I didn't see, will you marry me? Yes, at the end of that, <laughs> that would have been stupid. But because I could see, yes, I do, at the end of that, it all made total sense. And it was all totally worth it. I didn't even think about how hard it was at the time because my vision was carrying me into something bigger and better. And yes, it was worth it. I would do it again every day, all over again. So what is our vision? Well, you can, we're, we are adjusting it to try to help you remember it more easily. But um, you can look it up online. I'm going to read it to you. The first part that we want to make sure everybody remembers is worship, go, grow, or worship, grow, go. And so basically as we worship is love God, grow is love ourselves, and go is love our neighbors. You can find this on our website if you want to go back and look at it. And then I want to read this part. This is the part that's harder to remember, but it is really who we are. This is our vision. A family of transformed sons and daughters worshiping and ministering to the Lord, growing together in a culture of honor while being launched as influencers for others to experience the real living Jesus in us who loves all. Now you can't do that without paying a price. You can't do that by just sitting back and letting it happen. You have to pay a price to move forward in that the other thing that i like about that that vision is it's basically until jesus comes back there's no end in it you're not like reaching the goal and you're done you can hand that off to every generation you can always walk in more honor love and connection to god and so this is an infinite kind of thing we're not trying to win we're trying to propel this and hand the baton to the next and continue to build it higher and higher so that's what we want to look for is if we want to keep in mind our vision and I would encourage you to have vision for your own lives not just, I want you to adopt the vision for our church but, but I want you to think about where, where do you want to go what do you want to, you know if you're, if you're sitting next to your spouse or if, even if you're single what do you want to be sitting in the rocking chair at 95 years old looking back on did I have a run or what wasn't that amazing what do you want to look back on and, and think, yes, that is what I wanted. I went after it. And it's not about, did you hit every goal you were going after? It's about, did you chase it? Did you go after It's all about the process. The best memories I have aren't necessarily the goals that I've achieved. It's the process of getting toward those goals, and some of those you miss. But the whole process is part of the joy of it. here's the third thing we need to guard from sometimes our success starts to bring us other options other than Jesus that we never had before when we become successful it's real easy to find other ways to other things to rely on other than Jesus I was at the the church before I was here we had an amazing thing happen we had a multi-million dollar donation to the church we were a church that was pretty much all volunteer very similar to what we're like now and all of a sudden overnight we were able to bring on about five full-time staff so we went from a church of all volunteer to a church of like at least five paid full-time we were maybe on a good day maybe we're 120 people and that's about what we grew to we're a smaller church than this and so what happened was even though that sounds like an amazing blessing the people who were hired on as full time felt like, well, I'm making a salary, so I need to do a lot of work here. And the people who used to be volunteers thought, well, they're taking all of my work. I don't know what to do anymore. And it, it really created a crisis because we had all these options now. Instead of just relying on Jesus, we could just hire people. I'm not saying we, we, we would refuse a $5 million blessing here. So, you know, if you have your checkbook out and you put it away because I just said that, no, correct that. Go ahead and send it. We'll figure it out. But what I'm saying is what happens is all of a sudden you notice other options that you start to think, well, we've got it together now. We don't need to rely on Jesus. Now, nobody does this intentionally. It's just kind of where you slip into. You start thinking, well, how can I buy my way out of this instead of how can I pray my way out of this? I think a lot of the amazing radical stories of healings and miracles in third world countries that a lot of people are so impressed by, um, and we've seen some amazing miracles here, so so don't think we don't see them here. But you hear even more crazy stories in, in third world countries. A lot of times people think that they have more faith there. I don't think they necessarily have more faith. They just have less, less options. And so, you know, your, your child is dying. Well, here, we rush him to the hospital. We think about, you know, what all can we do? What Give us a good diagnosis. There, the hospital's too far away, and they don't have transportation anyways. All we can do is pray. And Jesus is their option. And that's all they press into. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't use hospitals. I'm not saying we shouldn't use those other options. But I want to recognize anytime, even if I'm taking somebody to the hospital, I'm doing this in Jesus. I'm doing this leaning on him. not My hope isn't in the doctor. My hope isn't in the hospital. My hope is in Jesus to help me through this. There's different kinds of faith that we'll walk in. And so now the faith that we have to have is not that God's going to to provide so that we can deal with you know, parking space because we'll have more parking space. Now the faith is, all right, how do we fill and manage the new things that we have? I have to have faith. So the, the next question that, you, that I want you to ask is, what do we have faith for that we can't do without Jesus? We can get pretty impressive what we can do without Jesus, but if we march into this new expansion we have to have something that we can only do if he shows up. We have to be thinking about that way in our lives. And we have to be thinking about that way in the church. The fourth thing that I want to mention that we want to guard ourselves against is that we can start to define ourselves by our, our success instead of our place in Jesus. Jesus. We start thinking of ourselves as that big church Instead of those Jesus followers May that not be so Mark 10 This is, a, this is the longest uh, scripture I'm going to read this morning Mark 10 verses 17 through 31 This is a story about a confrontation It's pretty well known one So you might have heard it If you've been in the, in the word at all Starting with verse 17 As Jesus started on his way A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him good teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good jesus answered no one is good except god alone which by the way he still answered the question so he must be god you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not give false testimony you shall not defraud honor your father and mother teacher he declared all these I have kept since I was a boy. So this guy just, he's, he wants to be reassured that he's on the right track. And he's like, I know the, the law. I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So as long as I do these things right, I'm, I'm good, right? As long as I, I just follow all the rules, I'm good. Well, Jesus goes a little deeper. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that's important. He said this in love. He was not trying to condemn him. He was not trying to shame him. Although the guy might have felt some shame, that wasn't his goal. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. Oh, those are so hard words. It starts making you wonder, did he really literally mean sell everything? Oh, he couldn't have meant sell everything. Jesus wouldn't make you do that, would he? He He wouldn't tell somebody to do that. We are all rich compared to the rest of the world. The rest of the world marvels not at how our rich are, but how our poor are. The, the, the world is amazed at how well our poor do compared to their middle class. And so it's, 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 it, at that point it feels a little hopeless if we don't continue on with the reading. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here's the point of this. I don't. I really honestly don't think the point is we need to all sell everything that we own. But there may be some of us who do. I think the point is we need to hold loose to everything that we have other than Jesus. And what Jesus was doing is pointing out to, to this man something that he was holding on tighter than Jesus. I don't know what would have happened if the man had said to Jesus, okay, I'll do that. Jesus might have come back and say, you don't need to, I know your heart. Or he might have said, okay, go ahead and do it because you need to. The point is, is are you willing Sometimes God has challenged me to give up things that, that he'll turn around and say, no, you don't need to do that. I just wanted you to know that you had the heart to do it. Other times, he actually wants you to give things up, and you're like, oh God, I'm, I was hoping this would be the one that you told me I didn't actually have to give up, but if I told you I would, you, you'd let me get out of it. You can tell your heart when God challenges you to let go of something. You can tell, and, and that's what Jesus was doing, he was magnifying that. So we hold on to everything. That's what I want you to think in your mind right now. Are there things that you're holding on to more tightly than Jesus? Are there things in your life that have become more important? It may be success. It may be things working out the way that you want them to. It may be other people acting the way you wish they would. It might be your church being the way that you wanted it to be. It might be your possessions. It could be your your things that you do in life so many different things, but is there anything that you're holding on to that your life would not have value other than Jesus? That's the question we want to answer. And as we advance, as we expand, we don't want to hold on to anything more tightly than we hold on to Jesus. And part of the things, one of the things that that I really admired about what Aaron did as we were talking about expanding was we'll plan this, We'll be ready to move on this. We'll have the money into this, and if God shows up and He says, "Give all that money away," we're going to do that. Even if it makes it harder and puts us in a better spot, if we know that it's God, if God's calling us to something, we're, we we want to do that, because it's not gonna it's not gonna be worth it. Even if even it becomes big and it feels successful, if we know that we didn't follow Him into it, it's not gonna be worth it. So the last caution that I have, and I don't think we're in this, but I do want to mention it because it is a mindset I think a lot of Christian churches can get into. You know, if we look at all the downfalls of success and prosperity, you can't have a tendency to say, well, we probably should just all be monks and not have anything. We should just let go of everything and and not expand and not advance and not do anything. And and for some, that might be valid, but I don't think that that's God's idea. I think the challenge is, is, how can we be successful and still hold on to God? A man who has lost everything is willing to risk it all. But a man who has a lot is going to struggle with that. And so our question is, how do we stay close to God as he gives us more? How do we continue to pursue him and go after him? And what can be the tendency is as you grow, as things happen, is is you have a tendency to want to stay safe because we've got so much. We've got more to lose now. There's more problems that could come up. and, And, you know, when we were just barely able to fill the front row of seats, there was a lot less to move. We could risk more. But now that we've got more people and it's filling up and we're getting influence in the city... Risks that we could take could have bigger consequences. So if there's a tendency, we could just try to play it safe. And I don't think that's where where God would have us go, because that doesn't require faith. That doesn't require anything for us to move forward. And so I don't think the point is to figure out how to stay small. I think the point is to figure out how to grow and stay close to connected to him. And the way I think we do this, this is, let me read uh, Psalm 27, 4. I really love this verse. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. What is your one thing? If you were going to boil your life down to the one thing that made it significant. Would you let that be Jesus? Would you let him be your one thing? That's what this church, that's what we're going to do as we expand is let him be our one thing. So I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to put a little music on in the background. We're going to take a minute to let the Lord minister to you. I want you to ask the Lord to show you and when I say ask the Lord just see what pops in your head I don't want you to analyze this and work hard to figure it out when you ask the Lord a question just see what pops in your head I, I want to, you to know, let the Lord speak to you on this I'm not asking you to do this because I want you to to navel gaze and self-analyze a lot I'm not asking for that but I just want you to ask the Lord the question Is there anything that I'm putting in place of you to be my one thing? Is there anything that I have? And this is a question I'd encourage you to ask regularly. And as he shows you anything, and maybe you say, no, he is my one thing. I want you to put your hands out, palms up. I want you to just... uh, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I give these things to you. And I invite you to be my one thing. I invite you to show me anything in my life that I need to change. And I ask you to give me the power to change it. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to say um, some of you, this may be completely new. You, you know, you, you came in and you're like, this is a nice church. They they get a little rowdy in worship. They, they have a lot of fun. But this thing that I'm saying is a new idea to you that you could actually let Jesus be your one thing. I would like to invite you to actually give to him your life. And what that means is you're basically saying those things in my life that are flawed, that that I'm not proud of, I admit those. I admit that I can't change those on my own, and so I give those to you to help me change. And I ask you to forgive me of those things, and I ask you to come and live in my heart and change me and help me to walk with you. And I give you my life from this day forward. And if that's you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted the price that Jesus paid, died on the cross to save you from the sins in your life, I would invite you to do that today. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come up. And if you have other prayer requests, if you need healing in your bodies... If you have uh, just life circumstances going on And you need prayer for that Or if you just want somebody to pray with you Because you want to, to know more about this guy named Jesus And you want to give your life to him I'd invite you to come forward for that now I'm going to pray as we close But our prayer team will be up here For any any kind of prayer needs Any kind of prayer request We would be happy to pray with that with you So Jesus I thank you for this group I thank you for these people I pray right now you're covering and blessing over them, and I pray right now that we would see you, God, that we would intentionally put you as our one thing. We thank you, God, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.